Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, April 16th, we're studying 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. When Christians suffer for righteousness' sake, St. Peter instructs us to be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks, asks the reason for our hope. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Hey, thanks for having me back. Rock Chalk Jayhawk now, huh? Yeah, Chalk Rock. <laughs> we it say hook right? horns in these parts. <laughs> Pastor Kilgo, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3 today. This is an amazing epistle. We were chatting beforehand. It's just amazing how Peter packs so much into so few verses. We're only going to look at five today. As we prepare to do so, what do we need to know about his epistle as a whole, the immediate context going in? Yeah, so the epistle as a whole, we should remember, is written to the Christians uh, who are in the uh, the diaspora, which is kind of the scattering, right? So you've got all these Christians that have just been scattered all over. They're Christians that are living, as, as he says in the beginning, um, the elect exiles of the dispersion, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, right? So you've just got these Christians everywhere. And we, we can definitely, you know, relate to that, a lot of us. Um, you know, you're not always in a uh, super uh, Christian area necessarily. Um, and so th- this is, uh, First Peter is just a great text for us uh, to always have our, our eyes on with this. And he's going to talk a whole lot in the epistle about suffering. Um, and that's going to be connected with living in an ungodly world, in a world that hates Christ and hates God, hates his word. Um, and it's urged on by the devil to do all those things. And so, you know, kind of the question is, well, how do you respond to all that? How do you live in that sort of world? And so Peter just kind of unpacks all of this uh, for us. And so that's the the general context. And right before this, he's been doing this uh, almost like this table of duties sort of thing where he talks about husbands and wives and rulers and all this sort of stuff and uh, submitting to them and uh, honoring them and uh, not repaying evil for evil. You know, it's one of the things I always quote to my children when they try and fight with each other, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. And so uh, he's been talking about all this. And now he goes into this just beautiful little section um, on uh, how, how do we, how do we live around people who in spite of our best efforts are going to come and bring evil against us, right? What, what, what do you do? Right. And that's that's kind of what's going to be unpacked now. Yeah. So let's let's just go ahead and jump right into the text today. There's there's so much here, and I'm sure we'll come back to some of those themes as we look at these words. This is First Peter three verses thirteen through seventeen. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 
For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That's the text for today, 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17. So, Pastor Kilgo, the text begins, and we'll just we'll just start talking about it because there's so much. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Well, really, I suppose there's a lot of people that might want to harm me if I'm zealous for what is good. What's Peter saying? Right. Yeah, I mean, we, we think especially in our in our world today where there seems to be, you know, kind of this great reversal of things. You know, if, if you if you want to do evil things in the world, right, then you're going to be kind of lauded for that. And if you want to do good things, like truly good things in the world, then you're going to be kind of despised for it. And um, so the, the, the question is not really, well, one, it, it's a rhetorical question, right? And it expects actually a negative answer the way it's constructed. And th- that's actually really wonderful because the question is, who's, who's going to be able to bring harm against you um, as one who is who's zealous for doing good things? And the answer is nobody. Like nobody can actually bring harm against you. They may be able to physically hurt you, but they can't actually bring any real harm against you. And the reason for that is that we belong to Christ, right? He's already purchased us uh, with his holy and precious blood. Uh, he is already redeemed us from sin and death and the devil. Uh, we already have been baptized into him and have died with him and have been raised with him, right? I mean, and this is Paul's point in uh, uh, the great text in Romans uh, where he says, who can separate us from the love of Christ, right? Who is there to uh, to bring any charge against God's elect? All these kind of rhetorical questions in there, right? And, he's, and he just starts listing all these things off. And I love it because he lists a whole bunch of things off and he just says, nor anything else in all creation, right? And it's like, in, in case you thought there was maybe anything else that might go in there, yeah. If it's been created, it, it can't separate you from Christ, right? You are too closely bound to him. And so uh, th- there's also kind of, I, I love this because there's an echo of Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress, or you can hear Luther echoing this, I should say. Probably, um, yeah, that's in, the way it works. <laughs> uh, with, with a mighty fortune story, he says, uh, and take they our life, goods, fame, child, or wife, though these all be gone, our victory is yet won, the kingdom remains ours, right? So he's doing the same thing that, that St. Peter is doing here, where, you know, it doesn't matter if you take all these things away from me, even my own life or my health. Um, you can hear an echoing there of Job as well, where, where Job says, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, that we we have something that is imperishable and that you can there's an echoing back to the very beginning of first peter and there's a lot of that in this text uh where he says uh uh, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you like that is what we have and that can never be stripped away from us by the devil or the world, anybody who wants to bring evil against us, right? And, th- and that's the word. We should probably make this point right now. This text uh, is bracketed by this word evil, right? Mm-hmm. So who is there um, who will uh, evil you is kind of <laughs> it's used as, a, as an adjective there. Uh, who is there to evil you um, if you are zealous for doing good? Um uh, and then at the very end, um, uh, if that should be God's will, um, then for doing evil, right? To suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So there's this bracketing of this this concept, right? Um, and it, it's really wonderful because he's just encouraging us, even if true evil is being brought against you, 
it's still not going to take you away from Christ, right? They, it, it can't, it can't separate you, can't harm you, right? Yeah, I mean, it, the, so that the word evil that goes up to the verse that we looked at yesterday in verse mm-hmm. twelve, where Peter's quoting from Psalm thirty-four, you right. know, and, and and it follows right off of it. How how can evil actually harm you? if the Lord's face is against the one doing evil. I mean, so it, it goes back to that. As you were you know, talking through where some of this is, is echoed elsewhere and, and where Peter is drawing from, my mind went to Luke chapter 10. After Jesus sends the 72 out, they come back, they have this great joy. Jesus says he sees Satan fall like lightning. This is, this is the point, though, that, that really I thought there was a bit of an echo. Jesus says, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. And then this is this is just an amazing promise. And nothing shall hurt you. Wow. I mean, nothing shall hurt you. That's just exactly what Peter says. But then Jesus gives this these words that I think Peter's got in his mind too. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I mean, think of the way Peter started the epistle, that, that we rejoice in the midst of our suffering not because you know we get to see like Satan fall like lightning from heaven or we have this power over the evil, but rather Christ has saved us. He's redeemed us. He's given us this imperishable inheritance. That's where our true joy is. And that's our strength in the midst of the suffering that Peter's talking about. Right. And and so the the there's an emboldening that comes along with this, right? And that's the other part of this. Uh, who is there to to bring evil against you if you're zealous for doing good? Well, no one. So keep being zealous for doing good. That's kind of the, the implied point there, right? Don't, don't give up, uh, doing good works, living a holy Christian life, uh, just because people are going to, you know, persecute you and bring all sorts of slander and all sorts of this stuff against you because that actually can't do anything, uh, bad against you. There, there's this great little quote that Luther has. I don't remember if we talked about before, but in his, um, commentary on John's gospel, he talks about this, uh, where uh, un- he says, unknowingly, the world leads us uh, through uh, sufferings into eternal joy, right? Mm. The world is is trying to bring, you know, these these sufferings upon us, and all it does for the, the Christian is just bring us into eternal joy, right? Which, which is this great paradox that the Lord uses, like he says with Joseph, the Lord meant it, or um, they meant it for evil, but the Lord used it for good, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean Joseph. I, his his mind, his name has come to my mind several times in this epistle of what Joseph went through, and how he's a good example of this. Now, you know, verse thirteen: Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? The answer ultimately is no one, because God is on our side. To use the language of of Saint Paul, to use the, what Peter's just quoted: Because the eyes of the Lord are upon you, His ears are hearing your prayer. Who can really harm you? No one. But Peter's also quite realistic: You may still suffer for righteousness sake. You know, he, he started his epistle like that, that for a little while, you're going to suffer trials of various kinds. Okay, he's, he's, you know, coming back to these themes over and over again. He does so here. And he says, if that should happen, by the way, it will, you will be blessed. Now there's a, a pretty clear echo to some words of Jesus. Yeah. So this is uh, the same word as in the Beatitudes, this word, you will be blessed, right? It's Amkarios, uh, which is the the blessed, blessed, blessed. That's the, the word that's there in Matthew 5, and this is Matthew 5, um, uh, 10 and 11, right? Where he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. 
for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, it's almost like Peter was there listening to these words, right? Um, and this is something that comes up a lot. Like you, you, you're hearing all these echoes of his time with Jesus. And he'll do this in, in Second Peter too, where, where he'll talk about um, the, uh, the, the certainty of the prophetic word, right? And he references being on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he's, he's kind of always doing this sort of thing. Um, and, and to your point with, you know, this being a common theme of, you know, you're, you're, you're going to suffer in some way in this life. He brings it up again later. And this is one of my favorite passages with Peter is, um, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, right? It's not strange to suffer if you're a Christian, right? It's not strange to suffer if you belong to the Lord, right? Because the world hates the Lord. And as Jesus promised, you know, uh, do not, uh, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you, right? And in fact, it hates you because uh, because you belong to him, right? Um, but our our hope is not in this life. Our hope is not in this world. Um, and our joy is, is not, you know, bound to here. We have joys in this world, but it's not bound here, right? Our joys are always bound to the promise of the resurrection, uh, which is the point that, again, that Peter made earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so a couple of thoughts there. This sufferings, then the Lord makes use of those sufferings so that we know that we don't belong to this world, so that our, we know our hope isn't found in this world. Again, to go back to to where Peter started in that first chapter, how those those trials end up testing our faith to show it more precious than gold, to show us where, and to use other language, you know, where our citizenship truly lies. Thinking into to chapter two, where, where Peter reminds us that we're sojourners and exiles, and so we need to abstain from the passions of the flesh because those wage war against our soul, that, that the things of this world would try to convince us that our home is here and now, and sometimes in good things, that the good things of this life might tr- even convince us that that this is all there is. And sometimes the Lord does make use of suffering to teach us the opposite. And and so that we would have joy in those sufferings, that we would look to Christ in those sufferings, to remember his sufferings, not only as example, but especially as for us, that that he suffered for us. And, and again, all of that is, is coming together here in just a, a few words here from Peter as he's recalling what the Lord said in the Beatitudes, as you said. Right. Well, and and also like we, we can hear um, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 in this too, right? That, that This great thing where he's, uh, that the preacher there uh, says, my son do not, he, he quotes the, the scriptures, uh, my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. And this is this reminder that, um, like you said, when we receive uh, suffering from the hand of God, um, that that is actually a sign of the Lord's mercy and kindness towards us. Uh, because it's through that suffering that that he not only reminds us, um, he who gives and he who takes away, but also he reminds us, um, that, that this life is, is fading, it's perishing. And, you know, we're, we're not bound here. We're, we're looking again towards the the resurrection of the dead, but there's this other thing that's going on in that, right. That, um, that he reminds us, uh, that we belong to him, right. So that we are actually his children, in all of this. And so it's the kind of the, the father sort of thing, you know, um, 
you know, the, a, a father disciplines his children, not because he wants to bring pain to his children, but because he wants to make sure those children are doing the right thing. And he does it because he loves them. Right. So, mm-hmm. so we have to always kind of look at this the way that a father would look at these things. Uh, just like we try and tell our kids, you know, um, you know, th- this, this is going to make more sense to you when you're an adult and you have your own children. Right. Uh, it's the same sort of thing with the Lord, um, that he's doing this as a father who loves us. I, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking of the, the Paul Gerhardt hymn, why should cross and trial grieve me? Right. You know that? I mean, it's just, oh, as, yeah. as you were talking, I was like, oh, he just, he just was, was riffing on, on all of these stanzas that are here in, in Lutheran service book. It's 756 in the Lutheran service book. Oh man, I don't even know which ones to, to quote. They're just all so good. And I think they all, they all fit. Let's see. This is stanza two. When life's troubles rise to meet me, though their weight may be great, they will not defeat me. God, my loving savior sends them. He who knows all my woes knows how best to end them. And then, I mean, you're talking about, you know, the, that God is our father and we are his children. Peter's talked Mm -hmm. about on multiple occasions that we are born again, right? There's that, that image where newborn infants longing for the pure spiritual milk of his word stands before of that hymn gives that same, same relationship from God's joy can nothing sever for I am his dear lamb. He, my shepherd ever. I am his because he gave me his own blood for my good by his death to save me. Right. Let's see. Oh, good. Yeah. The Lutheran service book, it even references first Peter one and first Peter four as, as scripture references for that hymn. It seems Paul right. Gerhardt along with Martin Luther echoed first Peter in, in hymnody. Right. And, and he does this even in the, the third stanza, um, in, in between could those sing the whole thing, we could, <laughs> uh, but he makes, he makes this, uh, um, this really great point. Um, and I love it because I think he's, this hymn is probably the most explicit on this. Um, and he says, uh, God gives me my days of gladness and I will trust him still when he sends me sadness, right? That, um, that God is actually the one who sends all this stuff, right? And this is the, the text in, um, what is it in lamentations, right? Um, that, that, um, God, um, God sends, uh, all these things to us. I'm, I'm, I may not be quoting the right one. Um, it's one of the, it's one of the pieces of wisdom literature. Um, but, uh, that, that God is the one who sends everything to us, right? It is from his hand that we receive um, all good things. And one of the things that we have to kind of reorient our minds around when we're talking about suffering is that suffering is actually a good thing that the Lord sends us, right? It, it does all sorts of things that are actually good for us or are, are intended by the Lord uh, for good, right? Mm. Right. And that's, and we should say, and we talked about this, I think it was the episode where we looked at the section of the table of duties here, where Peter's addressing servants under unjust masters. We should, we should be clear that that does not make what the, the suffering is or the injustice shown to us, that does not make that right. Right. That that does not somehow make that a good in, the Lord uses it for good, but that does not mean that that he intends us evil or something like that and does not make that evil intention somehow good. Evil still remains evil, but the Lord uses the suffering that we undergo from evil for our benefit. Right, right. Um, and this is Job's point, right? When Job um, receives from the hand of the devil all of his suffering, right, um, he makes the point, shall we receive from the Lord um, only good and not also evil, Right. Um, that it's ultimately the Lord, um, that allows these things to, to transpire towards us. 
Um, and he does it not because he enjoys it or because, you know, uh, he approves of the evil, like you said, but he does it because he knows that it's, it's going to actually strengthen us in the faith, right? As, as it does Job, right? And, and that it's going to, it, it's going to tear down our idols. It's going to tear down uh, the things that would keep us from him. This is the thing that he warns against in the parable of the sower, right? That um, with both the the seed that's planted in the uh, amongst the thorns and the seed that's planted in the in the shallow uh, the shallow soil, that both of these have uh, things like the cares and pleasures of the world and, and this sort of stuff that are end up fighting against uh, the faith, right? And these are, these are things that God has given um, as good gifts, right? The things of the world he's given to us as good gifts to, to use. Uh, but those can end up fighting against our the faith that he gives. And so the Lord will take those things away from us too, right? Which is, results in suffering. And that can include our own health, right? Health can, be an, health can be an idol. You know, if we're constantly in good health, we can uh, we cannot consider it to be a good gift, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of, of the way w- when we looked at the the text from First Peter two about the the passions of our flesh waging war against our souls. We Luther as an image of of a Christian like staying at an inn, and when you stay at an inn, you bring your clothes, you bring your money, and that's it. You use those things for your life, but that's not your home. And and so for us as Christians, with the things of this world, we we use them in this life as gifts of God for the service of our, our neighbor. But when we start to become so attached to them that they would fool us into thinking that this is our home, mm-hmm. then then we need the reminder of of Peter's epistle here that no, it's not. And and if you suffer and those things are removed, do not be afraid. You are blessed. I mean, to take it back to the Beatitudes, you you have a blessing because of who Christ is, what he's done for you in giving you this imperishable inheritance. You know, the other other language from the Sermon on the Mount, the the treasure that that thieves can't break in and steal, the wealth that that moth and rust cannot destroy. Peter says, that's yours. And so then again, to take it back to this text, what can harm you when that's what you're zealous about? Nothing really, because that's yours in Christ. Right, right. Yeah, I mean it's it's just this this fantastic thing, and and like I said earlier, it it produces on a, in in the Christian this this sort of boldness that is just really quite incredible. And this is why you know you look at you know I, I think the easiest place to look at with this is the martyr stories, and you look at you know the things that they endure and the confessions that they make in the midst of that that this great immense physical suffering, and um. And you're like, man, how can how can they do that? And it's because their their faith is so firmly attached to these promises that you know. Uh, I, I think one of my favorites is um, uh, this guy Romanus, and it, at one point uh, they they cut like the um, his they cut holes in his cheeks right to try and get him to to stop preaching because he's like um, he's been preaching to the proconsul this whole time every time they do something to him. Uh, he'll like preach a little sermon and stuff. It's it's great. And uh, they they cut these holes into his cheeks and he turns to the proconsul and he says, I thank you that you have given me more mouths by which I may praise my God. Right. And you're like, man, this guy is putting me to shame right now. But but the great thing is that the Lord promises that, you know, uh, by uh, by faith, that when we stand in those same situations, that he will embolden us in the same way uh, because we have the same faith, the same hope 
the same promises, right? That we have, again, go, going back to that, that opening part that we have uh, an inheritance that's unperish- imperishable and undefiled and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us. Um, God himself is guarding that for us, and, and he's not going to let that slip away, right? Yeah, it's it's quite quite amazing. So we've got just a couple minutes here before our break. Let's let's start digging into this next sentence because the next sentence is really long. It's almost the rest of our text. <laughs> he he starts with this is in the middle of verse fourteen. Now, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Maybe on this side of the break, let's just talk. Where is Peter drawing from here? We've seen him draw from the Old Testament throughout this epistle. Where is he drawing from here? Yeah, so he's he's drawing from Isaiah chapter eight. Um, and I'm I'm bad, and I don't have that sitting right in front of me. Um, uh, but now I do. Um, so Isaiah eight is, um, uh, do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Right. So so Peter actually is is quoting the Septuagint, the the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament in this text, and. It, um, it, it can be a little bit hard to, to catch because um, it's not like in, in the ESV or whatever. Um, it's not like it's not quote. It's not in quotes or anything like that. Um, but he, it is just a straight up quotation from the Old Testament, which is one of the things that I, I love about this. Like um, he just he's going along and, you know, without, you know, saying as it's written or anything like this, he just just plows through and just throws the scriptures in there. Um, and th- this is actually a great example, you know, of how we ought to go about doing this in our daily lives, talking with one another, talking with people in the world, uh, confessing the faith, just throwing the scriptures in there in our speech, which is something we'll talk about in a minute that why we need to actually be in the word and hearing it and studying it, and knowing it. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see how Peter makes use of this quotation from Isaiah 8 on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharp Iron, looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 with Pastor Sean Kilgo. Take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, April 16th. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 with Pastor Sean Kilgo. He serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, prior to the break, we left off in verse 14, the middle of it. Peter quotes right from Isaiah 8, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, and and it continues for quite a while. We've established where Peter's quoting from. He's just throwing in the Old Testament like he does throughout this epistle. What's his point here? What's he saying to Christians from Isaiah chapter 8? So I think that it's it's easier to just look at how it's translated in Isaiah. I I think it's just uh, more helpful to kind of get um, what's going on there, because it's... uh, it's not so much don't be afraid of them. I mean, that's certainly there. Don't you know? We shouldn't be afraid of the you know the people that are bringing evil against us. Um, but th- I think this is 
more to the point of what's in Isaiah, do not fear what they fear, right? And what is it that those who are not of Christ fear? Well, they, they fear death. They fear um, uh, the end. They fear the, um, the return of Christ, all these sorts of things, because, um, you know, in this life only they have hoped, right? Mm. Uh, so don't, don't fear that. Don't, don't fear um, dying. Don't fear sin. Don't fear the devil. Don't fear any of these things. Uh, they've all already been conquered. So um, don't fear them, uh, nor be troubled. And don't be in dread, as Isaiah says. Um, so, um, this is going to come back, uh, a a little bit later, um, that our, our fear is to be placed not in, um, not in these things of the world, nor in the people of the world, but in the Lord himself, right? Mm -hmm. As, as Jesus reminds us, uh, do not fear, um, uh, those that can destroy the body. Rather fear him who can, after destroying the body, can cast both body and soul into hell. Right. So, so fear God. Don't don't fear men. And and that's that's really the point that he's making here. And that's going to uh, then flow into the uh, the next point that he's making. So, so don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of what they are afraid of. Don't let that trouble you. Instead, and this is the way the ESV translates: in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now. There's probably some nuance in the Greek that we need to pick up. What what is what does the Greek give us? How does that enrich our understanding of what Peter says here in verse 15? I think this is one of the more famous texts in First Peter about what it says about, you know, giving a defense. So this matter of honoring Christ as holy, what's the what's the richness that's there in the Greek for us? Yeah, so there there's a couple of things. One, uh Lord here is used kind of as a title, right? And again, you know, referencing Isaiah, um, the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy, right? And I think that's probably where they're using, getting the word honor from in, in the ESV. They're trying to connect that. Um, but in the Greek, it really is just um, uh, the Lord who is Christ, uh, uh, sanct- sanctify in your hearts, right? So sanctify the Lord who is Christ in your heart, uh, the, in, in the positioning of all this, so that if the listener doesn't know in Greek, you can put the stuff kind of in any order. Um, and, and it's the endings that are going to tell you what goes with what, but when you put things in different order, you can emphasize different words. And so the word for Lord curios is, is put, uh, right at the front of this. And so there's this emphasis on, on the Lord, which is going to have a, a connection with a couple of things later, but, um, but he's saying, uh, sanctify the Lord in your hearts. And so this is kind of a weird thing at first, right? You know, how do, how do you sanctify God? This is kind of a weird thing. And, and Luther makes this great point on this, that um, it's really nothing else than nothing different than what we pray in the Lord's prayer. Where we say, um, hallowed be thy name or, or may your name be sanctified. Right. And that's kind of a weird thing to say at first. And Luther brings this out so greatly and beautifully in the, in the catechism that God's name is certainly holy in and of itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also. So it's the same idea that we want to um, keep Christ, um, who is the Lord, holy, uh, sanctified in our hearts. And that in this word holy, we should remember, is um, uh, the, the understanding of that is something that is set apart uh, uh, by God for God, right? So... Um, uh, it, it's not this, sometimes we hear holy and we're not 
really sure what to do with the word. It's just kind of this idea that floats out there, but it's, it's actually something that's set aside um, for God. And so our hearts are to be set aside um, for, uh, for the Lord uh, to dwell there, right? As he promises to do. And this is especially through his word, right? So um, the more we are in the Lord's word, the more we are hearing it and reading it and meditating on it and speaking it to one another and building one another up with these words, as St. Paul will say, you know, encourage one another with these words, um, that the more that's happening, the more our hearts are being uh, sanctified um, and Christ the Lord is being sanctified there, right? So it's not that, that the Lord is not holy already, it's that he would be holy in our heart, right? And that's that's the point of of luther in the large in the catechism as well as far as his name right so yeah i mean you know what does this mean god's name is certainly holy in itself we pray that it would be holy for us and then he he goes on to ask the question well how is god's name kept holy and he points us exactly to the place that you're pointing us which is to the word of god when it is taught and believed in all of its truth and purity and when we as god's children lead holy lives according to it and and those are certainly themes that come out in this epistle of first Peter. I mean, again, to go back to the beginning of chapter two, where Peter calls Christians newborn babies, what do newborn babies do? They cry out for milk, and the milk that Christians cry out to to receive more and more is that word of God. And it is that word of God that, as you said, that's what sanctifies us, and that's what sanctifies the Lord in our hearts, keeps the Lord as the Holy One in our heart. Maybe that's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to, to hear and, and understand in English, but maybe that's, you know, to keep the Lord as the Holy One in our hearts. Something, something like that is the effect of what it means to sanctify the Lord. Right. So if we remember, I think what might be helpful here, uh, in the large catechism, Luther in the first commandment, uh, talks about, um, uh, basically where, where your heart is, there is your God. Right. Um, and, uh, Calvin has this really nice quote. I don't often quote Calvin, but when I do, it's because it's really good. Um, and there's this great quote that he has that the, the human heart is a factory of idols. Right. And so this is what the heart, uh, in, in man's fallen state does. And so the point here is that we want our heart to not be a factory of idols, but we want our heart to be sanctified or set apart. Um, for God alone, so that our heart um, fears, loves, and trusts in God alone, as the first commandment says, right? And so this is this is a first commandment uh, deal, right? To to think of it that way, uh, to um, sanctify Christ, who is the Lord in our hearts, is to uh, endeavor to keep the first commandment, right? Which is only done um, by God's word, which, as uh, Saint Timothy or Saint Saint Paul reminds us in in Timothy, uh, is done uh, through the sanctifying work of the Word of God and prayer, right? So with Christ the Lord as the Holy One, or let's say the Lord who is Christ, the Holy One in my heart, Peter says then, always being, and again, this is one long sentence, so it's a, a, a phrase, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Let's start with the being prepared to make a defense. Yeah. So, so this word, uh, we'll start with defense. Um, so this word defense is, um, uh, the, the word apologia, which is where we get the English word apologetic from. And so this is like the whole apologetic task, which is making defense. This is also, if for anybody's ever been confused about this, we have the Augsburg confession and we have the apology of the Augsburg confession. That doesn't mean we're 
apologizing uh, for what we said. It means we're defending what we said in Augsburg to begin with, right? Which is why the the apology or the defense is longer than than Augsburg is in a lot of places. And so, um, so this is what's going on here. Um, always, uh, be, always being ready um, uh, to make a defense. So this is a a legal term. Um, that is used like dealing with a court of law. So you stand before a judge and you have to have to give a defense for uh, what you've done or not done. Right. That that's the the background of this this word. Um, and the defense that you're giving, though, particularly here is in two respects. One, anybody who's asking you for a word. Right. So that they're they're actually coming and they're, you know, either reviling you or they're asking you a legitimate question or whatever it might be, but they're actually engaging you with, um, it generally in, in the context of this, I think we'd say because of your, um, your good behavior, because of your zealousness for doing good, that, that is in the background of all of this that, um, and actually going back even further, right. If you think about like the table of duties and you think about like the wives who have the unbelieving husband, but keep, you know, uh, keep honoring their, their husband, and submitting to them and uh, and loving them, that this whole thing you could see like people coming along is like, well, why are you doing that, right? So that's kind of the the, the background of this. Um, or we could even say uh, more to our times, you know, why are you honoring the emperor, right? Um, even though the emperor is obviously like this evil guy, you know, not only in in Peter's time, like it's Caesar, right? Um, but even in our time, and we 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 don't always have the the greatest rulers around us. Um, and it's obviously very different depending on where you live. Um, and so you could see someone coming up and saying, you know, why are you honoring or I've even had some people ask, you know, why, why did you pray for, you know, so-and-so, uh, the governor or the president or whatever in, uh, in church today? It's like, well, one, because we're exhorted to, um, but also because this, this is tied to, um, uh, to our hope. Right. Um, and, and that's the point that he's going to made, uh, uh, specifically a, a word regarding the hope in you, right? And this, again, is echoing back all the way to uh, the beginning of First Peter, where he says, um, uh, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, right? That, that our hope um, that is in the background of everything that we're doing, why we're not afraid of the things that the world is afraid of, why um, we are considered blessed, even if we suffer for doing good, um, any of these things that Peter's talked about or will talk about is all tied to the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead as the first fruits and that we are following after him. Um, and so what's the defense? Like what, what's the response to this? Um, well, that is one specifically anything that we're doing, but also in the background of that, always the confession of the resurrection. Right. And, and that's, that's the, the very clear point that we need to make here, but it's always, um, what the Lord has told us, right? So, so the defense that we give is, is always tied to what the Lord has given us to say, right? We don't just go around like making stuff up. Um, we, we actually say what we, we put into our mouths, God's word and speak that to the world around us. And then God does with that, what he decides to do. Yeah. I mean, I, the way that, the way that you, you said it earlier, always, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you the, the ESV translates it a reason. The word there in the Greek is simply logos right. word. Right? right. I mean, so, and I, I think that that's a helpful just to, to let the, that stand there as word, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a word for the hope, right? Where, what is this reason 
of, that I have this hope, it is because of the word that has been preached to me, which I mean, oh, Peter, you you just did it again. Like chapter two, that's the milk that I'm longing for. That's right. the, the gospel that's been preached to me that remains forever, even in the midst of this world that's passing away, all flesh is like grass, he's quoted. That's, I mean, that's the news of of Christ crucified and risen. I mean, and talking through this, I, it really is making me think that the text we're going to look at on Monday, the the great baptismal text here, mm-hmm. that's that's going to be key for all of this in Peter, right? Because that's where Peter really is going to give you that word, the word of of what Christ did. He suffered, died, rose, ascended, and reigns, and that comes to you in baptism. Like you you want the you want the word that gives me the hope. That's it. It it coming up right after this text. I I think, and I'm, I'm not trying to steal yeah. thunder from from the next show, but I, I mean, I think again, Peter is just proving so masterful in in the way that he's tying these themes together and giving them to us uh, in this epistle. Oh, I completely agree. I, I think that you know, First Peter eighteen through twenty two is is kind of the uh, almost the mountaintop of this whole thing. That everything's building to that moment, and I I've had to kind of resist the urge of. Uh, uh, talking about it because it's so great. Yeah. You can just see it pushing into that. So we'll, we'll leave that for the joy of the next guy. That's right. Um, so that's right. Well, before we, I, I, I want to make sure we keep going, but just briefly this, this word for the hope. I mean, that's a key mm-hmm. term for Peter. It's a key term in the scriptures, just so that we, we recall what is hope for Christians, right? So hope we should remember is not the way we use it, uh, colloquially in English. It's not like, you know, I hope it's going to rain it may or may not. There's an uncertainty to the word, the way we use it. Uh, in the scriptures, there's it's the opposite. It is certainty, right? So you can substitute the word um, uh, hope with the word certainty. So you can say uh, anyone who asks you for a word for the certainty that's in you, right? And this is the thing, like this is going back to earlier, like they're, they're just because of the promises we have, there is a great boldness that the Christian ought to have to just say what it is, say the truth of the matter for things and to live a holy Christian life, uh, and to love doing these things and really not care about the world thinks about all that. Right. And you know, sometimes that can come across as being, uh, um, I'm, I'm blanking on the, the right word for it, but, uh, coming across as being kind of prideful or, or arrogant or something like that. Right. But that's not what it is. It's, it's just a, a boldness that comes from, uh, having these great promises and believing them. And, you know, when the more that's there, the, um, you know, the, the less the, the world can really have any sway over how you speak or act. So Peter continues in this long sentence. <laughs> he says, After you've, you've given the word for the hope that's in you. Peter says, do this, do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Take us into to the way that this is done according to Peter. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to, uh, make an, an argument here and maybe a guy can come along and, and correct me on this later or whatnot. But, um, I, I am not unconvinced that this passage here is not referring back to the manner in which we stand in front of God, uh, the one who is the Lord, right? So, so Lord, we should remember is kind of the, this monarch sort of term, Right, it's it's the one who like has charge over us, um, and you combine that with this legal term apologion, um, the the defense language, and now you know you're it's like you're standing in front of a, a 
the the just judge who's the Lord, and that we stand there um, with meekness and fear. So that that's the words here is is meekness and fear. It, it's translated gentleness and respect, which I I think is kind of weak uh, in comparison with with the words that are there, uh, especially the last one. I mean, it is just straight up phobu. It's fear. That's the same word that comes up earlier. You know, do do not. Uh, fear what they fear. It's the same exact word there. So, um, uh, you know, with, with that context, you know, do, but with, um, gentleness and fear, like that would be kind of weird for him to say if he's just told us, you know, don't be afraid of them. If we're, if that's a reference to the person we're standing in front of and responding to, right. He just said, don't, don't fear what they fear. Don't be afraid of them. Um, so rather our, um, so I, th- I think the way to, to think about this is, um, so always being ready for a defense to any who are asking you a word regarding the certainty that's in you. Um, but doing that bef- as before the Lord and not before men, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so that anytime we're giving a response to these things that we are confessing before God, his truth. And so in that sense, we are standing before the Lord and we ought to do so in meekness and fear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, knowing who he is and who we are. And, and that's just mm-hmm. what the Lord exhorts us to do over and over, right? And that and that's Isaiah again, right? He says, um, let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Um, and he, and, th- and this is where like the gospel comes in so beautiful. And the Lord will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling um, and a trap and ensnared to the inhabitants of Jerusalem at, at um and that, you know, your enemies basically are going to follow over this, but you will be, um, in this sanctuary. Right. Mm, um, yeah. so, uh, so stand before the Lord, making this good confession, um, uh, regarding the certainty of especially the resurrection, um, uh, with meekness and fear. And the result of that is going to be that you have a good conscience and here, like there, there's a, just a great echo of what he's going to say about baptism later. That's right. right? Yeah. Um, that it's entirely connected to that. And so that then, because you have a good conscience, um, because you've been baptized, but also because you made a good confession, you've just said what the Lord has given you to say, and you've lived a godly life. Um, Christ has been set apart in your heart as uh, being sanctified, um, or your your heart has been set apart for Christ, who is the Lord. Um, so that now when you are slandered, um, uh, those who are reviling you are put to shame, right? And this is the, the idea um, of... They, they just heap burning coals upon their head, right? They actually, the, the shame res, redounds to them, right? And not to us. Like it's, it's kind of the, I am rubber, you are glue. And it bounces off me and sticks to you, right? That, that's kind of the, the this is the that's early, how, early version of the argument, yeah. right? <laughs> that's right. Well, and I mean, you know, the, the behavior, the, the way the Christian suffers, and I think that's, that's a really big part here. It's, it's not only the, the godly behavior that, Peter has brought out in this table of duties, but the way that the Christian suffers in the midst of that godly behavior, it it always stands there as that prick of conscience for the unbeliever. You know, the, the unbeliever could go his own way and live the life that he wants to, pursuing the passions of his flesh without remorse, except for the fact that he sees that Christian there who who is willing to suffer for doing the exact opposite of that mm-hmm. and and that that constant testimony is is always pricking the conscience of the unbeliever and and sometimes that results in more suffering for the christian but sometimes it results in that unbeliever asking you dear christian 
give me a word for the hope that you have to endure suffering in this way. And, and there's the opportunity. Now, Peter concludes, I want to make sure we touch on this last verse, at least briefly. We've got about five minutes here. Peter concludes this, this section, again, that's so rich. He says, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Take us into last, that last verse. Yeah, so this is kind of bracketing back to verse 13. So you can think of like verse 13 and 17 as kind of bracketing this whole section, right? It's kind of doing the same thing, right? So verse 13, who is there to bring evil against you if you're zealous for doing good? And verse 17, um, it's better uh, to do good if um, and to suffer if that should be God's will than um, to suffer for doing evil, right? Um, and so the, the point is, you know, again, don't give up doing good. Don't give up leading a holy Christian life, which which is simply looking at the commandments uh, and asking the question, you know, um, what is my station in life according to the Ten Commandments? It's this great question that Luther teaches us to ask um, under confession, right? And it's certainly, you know, what sins should I confess? But it's also, you know, answering all these other questions like, how do I live a godly life? Well, consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments, your father, and husband, wife, mother, worker, whatever, um, and look at what you're given to do, right? And and Peter's just laid this out for you earlier too, right? I mean, so it, it's it's referencing back and he's, it's like, look, um, do good. And if you suffer for it, so be it. That that may be God's will. And and here we should make a note that there's this kind of emphatic thing that happens in the Greek. Um, it's the, um, um, if, uh, if should will the will of God, right? Uh, so it's like the, this doubling up, you get a, you get the verb and the noun for will kind of, you know, piling on top of each other. And this just like emphasizes it even more. Right. So, um, there's also kind of this alliteration thing going on. Um, the, the you can kind of hear, even if you don't know the Greek, it's, uh, Thaloi to Thalema to Theu, right? So it's this, this th sound showing up over and over. Um, that's kind of neat just linguistically, but. Uh, he's saying, look, this may be God's will. And it, you know, if, if, and it's just emphatic, like if it's God's will, it's God's will and it's going to, it's going to happen, right. Whether you want it to or not. Um, and, uh, if you're going to suffer and if it's God's will that you suffer, um, it's better that you should suffer because you're, um, doing good and you're suffering from the hands of the world than you suffer for doing evil and now you're suffering from the hand of God, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there's a, a worldly suffering and there's an eternal suffering, right? Um, and so kind of the point here, I, I think we should see is that um, it's better that you suffer eternally um, and you gain, or it's better that you suffer um, in the world temporally uh, and you gain eternity, eternal glory and bliss um, than that you have a, a great life now and you suffer eternally. And, you know, to echo um, elsewhere, uh, what does it profit a man uh, to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? Right. And that that's that's the point here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that note about if it is God's will, I think is is important when we why is it that we we do these good things that God has given? Well, we do them because they're good. We don't go seeking after the suffering. You know, the the goal mm -hmm. in doing these things is not to suffer. We simply recognize that the suffering very well may come to us in doing those good things according to God's will. But but our focus isn't to go out looking for suffering or to make up suffering for ourselves. Our goal is simply, and I think this this goes back to verse fifteen. 
Our goal is simply that our hearts would be the place set apart where the Lord who is Christ reigns as as the one true God. Pastor Kogo, with just about a minute left, help us to wrap things up, point us to the good news of Christ crucified in this text. Yeah, so I, th- I think, again, the thing that we want to hear in all this is that, you know, because Christ is set apart in our hearts according to his word, um, and through that word, not only our hearts, but our whole being is made holy in him, uh, and that he has given us in that word, the blessed promise of the resurrection, and he keeps it for us. Our, our names are engraved in heaven, um, uh, like Job says, with, with iron pen and lead uh, into the rock, right? Uh, and, it, and, and that rock is Christ, that we are engraved into the very palms of Christ in his crucifixion. Uh, and he is raised with those marks still in him, right? And so because of that, and it and that is so certain for us, we can go through this life with all boldness and confidence, uh, not worrying about what the world might do to us or what it might say. And in fact, realizing, as he said earlier, that in our good conduct, in our good confession, that that's actually what will convert the unbeliever, right? That they're going to see that. Um, that They may revile us for that, but they may also uh, get curious about this and ask us, and we can make a good confession. The Lord will work through that seed planted in his word and bring them to faith so that we would have many neighbors in the resurrection. Pastor Sean Kilgo is the pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas, helping us today with 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Pastor Kilgo, thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, great to be here. I'm your host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. share is coming on KFUO April 22nd through 24th. We would love to have you partner with us to share Christ for you anytime, anywhere through this broadcast. Please join us those dates, April 22nd through 24th for share Visit kfuo.org slash for more information. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.